Well, good morning, church. Happy fall kickoff Sunday. Uh, I hope you're excited to be here this morning. Hope you're excited about lunch, tacos in a bag. Very exciting. Uh, hope you're excited about our fall ministries. And I'm even hoping that you are excited about our new sermon series called, well, it's on Life's Big Questions. And maybe it's a lot to ask to have you excited about all of those things, but I really think that we're going to have an amazing fall here at our church. And part of that is going to be what I hope is some timely teaching uh, that I think is going to be really relevant uh, to the times we are living in uh, right now. Because as I said, we're going to be looking at life's big questions um, in the next few weeks. And these are questions that when you ask these questions, these questions, the answers don't just matter. The answers to these questions actually shape our understanding of the world that we live in. And I'll say more about that, but that's actually what this sermon is about. It's a bit of an intro uh, to this topic. And with that in mind, you can join me in turning to the book of Colossians chapter 2. And uh, we'll be looking at several scriptures. This is actually more of a topical study than I'm usually used to preaching, so I'm new at this, so you can be forgiving. Uh, but this text actually does a really great job of setting up the discussion we're going to be looking at this morning. As we look at the question, today's big question is, do you live what you believe? And if you'd like to follow along with me, uh, we're going to read Colossians 2, verses 6 to 10. It says there, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Father God, um, yeah, we are excited about the fall here at church. And Lord, as we kick that off this morning, we just pray that you would just be with us, be present with us uh, in the time afterwards when we're we're eating and fellowshipping, and Lord, <clears throat> especially we ask that you would be with us now in our time together as we open our word, and just I pray that you would prepare our minds, our hearts, our ears uh, to hear and to understand and to um, just really reflect deeply uh, on the truth you would have us here this morning, uh, that you would help us to not just believe, but to also live out the truth uh, of who you are and what you have called us to do as your people. So Lord, we welcome you uh, into our midst this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would be our teacher, you would be our guide, and that Lord, uh, you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was working on the sermon this week, just sort of contemplating some of the ideas I was looking at, I guess one of the feelings that sort of just kept, I couldn't shake, uh, was just this feeling about how it seems to me the world has just been changing so much all around us. And I mean, so much has changed, even since I was a child. I mean, four channels on TV, we didn't have area codes before our phone numbers, 
Pong was the most exciting piece of technology. I mean, I'm not sure my kids, if you could transport them back, if they would even recognize or even understand the world that I grew up in as a child. But, I mean, that was a long time ago. Uh, But, you know, even in the last few years, uh, we've seen so much change. Change that used to, I think, take decades uh, to happen is now, in our culture, taking a matter of years. It actually reminded me of a, of a book by J- David Jeremiah. He, wrote, he released a book a few years back called, I Never Thought I Would See the Day. And some of the chapters in that book were titled, I Never Thought I Would See the Day When Marriage Would Be So Obsolete. I never thought I would see the day when morality would be in free fall. I never thought I would see the day when Jesus was so profaned. I never thought I would see the day when the Bible was so marginalized. I never thought I'd see the day when atheists were so angry. And I never thought I would see the day when the church would not know that it's at war. And honestly, again, I've had similar thoughts like that lately because I never thought I would live to see the day when we as a society would not would deny that there's a difference between male and female. Or when truth would be something that many people think is something you judge on a sliding scale, let alone something that's multiple choice. And I never thought I would see the day when society would just try to normalize immorality and call evil good and good evil, and no one would even question the difference. But it feels more and more like that's the world we're living in. And that change is happening because the worldview of people around us is changing. And that's really the big idea of this sermon series is what it's about, worldviews. And we're going to be talking about that in the next few weeks as we look at these different questions. And uh, renew.org, the website, says at its simplest Worldview is a person's view of the world. It's a framework for understanding reality and answering the big questions about it. It's basically a roadmap for navigating reality. Your worldview is like a jigsaw puzzle box top. It gives you the big picture so you can make sense of the individual pieces and arrange them in place. And you know, it's really easiest to sort of reveal a person's worldview by asking them to sort of answer a couple of big questions about what they believe. Uh, You'll see them on the screen there. Questions like, what is the origin of the universe? Where do we come from? What is reality? What's the purpose of life? What happens after we die? Where does evil come from? What's wrong with the world and how do we fix it? And, And even, what is truth? And those are important questions. Those are very revealing questions. In fact, if you want to get to know someone and understand where they're coming from, ask them questions like that because their answers will tell you a lot about who they are and what they believe. In fact, even more than just people, I find it just so valuable that whenever I'm sort of, if you're reading a book, if you're watching a TV show, watching a movie, be asking yourselves, what is this movie, TV show, book, how is, how is this book answering these questions? What is the worldview that this book has that it's trying to talk to me about? It's, these questions are an amazing filter for our understanding of where people are coming from. And keep in mind, 
whether it's something that is conscious or subconscious, every single person has some type of answer to all of those questions. Because even if a person's answers to one of those questions is, I don't know, that uncertainty actually becomes part of their worldview. That uncertainty is going to affect their behaviors and their decisions as they go forward in life. Because one thing that's really, I think, important to understand when we talk about worldview is that a worldview is not just an intellectual exercise. It's, it's not just answering these questions to see if you get the right answer. It's not, you know, like, here's a question, it's trivial pursuit, uh, you know, I'll take, you know, per meaning in life for 200, you know. No, because more than anything else, a person's worldview, is, it, it affects how they live. An article by a Christian apologetics and research ministry says, you stop at a red light, you go at a green. You leave a tip for a waiter or waitress. You try and color, coordinate your clothes. You, you voice your order for food uh, at a speaker box sitting inside your car. You, you cast a vote for a particular political leader. Why do you do these things? It's because you are accustomed to doing them in a manner that is consistent with what you believe. In other words, you believe according to your worldview. So when we're talking about worldview, we're talking about a set of values and beliefs that affects every part of a person's life. It shapes their behavior and it gives them an understanding of the world that they live in. And let me give you just a few examples of how that works. As we see, I think, a couple of effects that the worldview around us have had on our world right now. Um, I mean, we have a real mental health crisis in our world today, especially among young people. And yet in schools, we teach the Big Bang that tells kids everything is random and life is just a fluke of nature. And we teach evolution to let them know that they are no different than, than animals, you know, monkey or sea slime. And we expose these kids to social media for 15 hours a day so they can see how rich and happy and beautiful everyone else is so they know their life's not really that special. Well, it's no wonder kids are struggling. It's because the worldview that we've put on them leads them to that place. Think about marriage. You know, in a world that believes now sex is just a pastime, marriage is just a piece of paper, the most important person in the world is you, and the only thing that matters is your happiness, you would expect divorce to be as rampant as it is today. That's a result of a person's worldview too. And you know, even the transgender issue that we're seeing in our world right now. I was watching a video a few months back by a scholar named Carl Truman. And he said something that really struck me, stuck with me. He said, 20 years ago, if a man went into a doctor's office and said that he felt like a woman trapped in a man's body, the doctor would have said, there's something wrong with your mind and we need to fix it. He said, today, if that same man went into a doctor's office and said he felt like a woman trapped inside of a man's body, the doctor would say there's something wrong with your body and we need to fix it. So what changed? What changed is our world's view about truth. Because right now in our world, the Bible is not the source for most people's view of truth. 
Even science is not the source for truth for many people where an X and a Y chromosome would actually mean something. No, instead, a person's feelings have actually become the most important thing for most people when it comes to the source of truth in their lives. If you feel like a woman, you must be a woman. And we now need to change reality to make your feelings truth for you. That's a worldview. And it's, if, if, if you ever find yourself sort of wondering the reason the world feels just so strange to you sometimes, it's because people are answering those fundamental questions differently than you are. In other words, you have a different worldview from the world around you. And you know, even though worldview is not used in our passage this morning, it's actually not used in the Bible at all, this idea that we are to have a Christian understanding of the world, that we are to think Christianly about our life, and that we are to approach everything in life through our understanding of the truth of the Word of God, that is a concept that is perfectly clear. And we see that as we go back to this passage I read earlier, Colossians 2, beginning of verse 6. Paul says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now that passage really raises some, what I would call some good news and some bad news for us as believers. And the good news is that our faith has answers to life's big questions. Our faith, you know, he talks about our walk in Christ, that, that Christ is to be our all in all. Everything we do, we can do in him. Uh, you know, and, you know, our world, when we're in Christ, it changes how we see things, how we think about everything, and that he can be the, the, the rule and authority. And let me just add here, and you know, as believers, it's okay to ask questions, even hard questions, to God. Because I know that there are many believers who think asking questions is a sin, or that even having doubts means that your faith must be weak. But that's not true. I personally believe God is honored when we are willing to go to him and ask him hard questions as long as we are genuinely seeking an answer from him. In fact, the book of Psalms is basically one long set of questions from hurting people that are asking God. To me, that's not a lack of faith. That's what growing in faith actually looks like. Because we are to be used, as Christians, we are to be using our minds to find those answers. We are to be thinking Christianly. That's what we're called to do. In fact, you know, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says in Matthew 22, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Because as much as we love God with our hearts and as much as we serve God with our lives, we are also to be pursuing him with our minds, pursuing answers, pursuing truth. But of course, that leads us to the bad news this passage has for us. And the bad news is that many Christians don't do that. And as Colossians says, Paul says, 
Many are being taken uh, captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You know, some believers just, I guess they become believers and they just try to sort of, they put their minds on autopilot. But the danger we face as believers if that, is that if we don't use our minds to engage things, then someone else is more than willing to answer those questions that we have for us. An article by Focus on the Family puts it like this, saying here's the big problem. Non-biblical worldview ideas don't just sit in a book somewhere waiting for people to examine them. They bombard us constantly from television, film, music, newspapers, magazines, books, and academia. And because we live in a selfish, fallen world, these ideas seductively appeal to the desires of our flesh, and we often end up incorporating them into a personal worldview. And sadly, we often do this without even knowing it. You see, if we're not willing to seek answers in God's word, the world is more than happy to fill in the gaps for us and take us captive to their worldview. And there's many people in churches today that I would say they have their worldview that is shaped as much, if not more, by the culture they live in than the Bible that is on the shelves. In fact, not long ago, George Barna uh, did a poll, a survey, and he asked people a set of questions. Uh, I'm not sure if I have those questions here, but he asked these questions. He said, does absolute moral truth exist? Is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinful, sinless life? Is God the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real, and does a Christian have responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? And is the Bible accurate in all of its teachings? Those are the questions he asked. And would you believe that only 9% of believers actually believed in all of those things? 9%. And that's not, that's 9%, not 9% of just random people walking down the street. That's 9% of people who self-identified as born-again evangelical believers in evangelical churches. And if you want to be really afraid, Barna did a similar survey with pastors and in that survey, only 37 pastors percent of pastors agreed. And that should serve, I think, as a bit of a wake-up call to us. That there is this spiritual battle for the mind going on all around us. There's nothing new because the Bible warns us about it over and over. Romans 12, beginning of verse 2, we're told, Do not be conformed to this world. That's a worldview battle. But be transformed by the renewal of your minds that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. 2 Corinthians 10, beginning of verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And even Ephesians 6, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. And then Paul goes on to talk about things like putting on the helmet of salvation to protect our minds, the belt of truth, the shield of faith to extinguish the darts, the, the lies and deceptions of the evil one. And he tells us to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Those are all things that affect our minds. This is armor is designed you know, to protect our thoughts, our beliefs. This is a protection for our worldview as Christians because the battle is very real. And that's why my encouragement to you this morning, to all of us, is quite simply know what you believe. Or put in another words, take hold of a Christian worldview in your life. And for you to do that, I want to give you just a few characteristics that I think every Christian worldview should have to be a Christian worldview. And the first thing that a Christian worldview should have is that it needs to be biblical. You could even say that a Christian worldview is a biblical worldview and a biblical worldview is a Christian worldview because you can't separate those two things. The Bible needs to be the foundation of our worldview, the foundation of our truth. A biblical authority needs to be the core of all that we believe and all that we live. And yet when it comes to doing that, I actually see three pe people making three very common mistakes, even people in churches today. Three mistakes people make when it comes to a biblical, world, uh, biblical worldview. First mistake that money people make is they simply lack knowledge of what the Bible says. They don't read their Bibles. They don't know their Bibles. And you can't build your life upon the truth of the Bible if you are ignorant of God's word. That's the first mistake. Second mistake is that there's just so many people today who decide to reject, outright reject what the Bible says about certain issues. So they really come to the truth of God like it's some kind of buffet table where, you know, they can take a little from here and a little from there, but you know what, you know, that teaching on that gives me a little indigestion, so I'm going to avoid that altogether because they don't agree with it. And that's just such an unbalanced approach. And even though they're trying to have it both ways and they have a little truth sprinkled into their worldview, it's essentially... A rejection of God's authority. And then the third mistake I see a lot of people make is that there are those who are more concerned with, the, with what the world thinks of them than they are about what God thinks of them. So these are people who know the truth and they want to live the truth, but they just, they lack the courage to live out that truth in their lives. And that's why I think we need to take the words of 2 Timothy chapter 3 to heart. And this is actually quite a bit of a long passage. I was trying to edit it, figure out to make it shorter, but I, I couldn't really do it because this is so relevant to our lives, especially in our worlds today. Because listen to what Paul writes here. This is foundational truth for Christians. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, he says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. 
What a great description of our world today. He says, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to us all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And here's his advice. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, if through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not sure I could improve on that advice today, but I mean, Paul is telling this young Timothy, establish your life on the word of, word of God. He's saying, in a world that's really gone mad, make the Bible your authority. And that's what all of us need to be doing because a Christian worldview is a worldview that is grounded in God's word. Then the second characteristic of a Christian worldview that I would give you is that it's always countercultural, And that means it's not easy to live out in the world around us. Now, Jesus, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was essentially giving his disciples a lesson on Christian worldview. He was talking about what life in the kingdom of God, what it looked like when you were living it out. And his words in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, sometimes they're very familiar to us, but if you go back and read them with fresh eyes, they're shocking with what Jesus says. Because we live in a world that says might makes right. We live in a world that says blessed are the strong. Blessed are the rich. Blessed are the beautiful. Blessed are the pushy because they get what they want. But Jesus says to his followers, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. Those two things could not be more different. And then Jesus goes on to say things like, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Jesus is saying, you know, your worldview has taught you this. But my worldview, when you follow me, is telling you something else completely. He says that you may have heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully with intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The Christian worldview will always seem crazy to the world. And there's places where our worldview will always be outright incompatible with what the world believes. 
And to live a Christian life, it's always going to feel like you are swimming upstream in a culture that is against you. Because a Christian worldview, it does not embrace the world. It embraces Christ and it follows him. It's countercultural. That means it's really tough. And then the third thing about a Christian worldview that I would give to you is that it is comprehensive. Now, even though we are living in changing times, the Word of God doesn't change. And even though there's many new challenges and new issues that we have to face in this world, you need to know that the Bible, the truth of the Bible, still informs all of those things. Because the Bible, the Christian worldview is comprehensive. It just doesn't, doesn't just shape our understanding of God. It shapes how we understand everything in our lives. A Christian worldview will shape how you understand politics, how you understand and use technology. It'll shape your understanding of sexuality and marriage. It'll shape your understanding of the environment. It'll shape your understanding of art and recreation and science and faith and even how you understand your vocation and so much more. The worldview speaks to everything in our lives. In fact, the Truth Project that we've been sort of announcing last couple of weeks that we're running in some of the small groups, we're also, again, presenting it here Tuesday nights uh, at the church, 6.30. That teaching does an amazing job of really just revealing how our Christian worldview affects every part of our lives and society. I think the teacher in that series says something like this. He says, there is no direction in which you can turn in which you will not see the face of God. And I would actually strongly encourage you, each of you, to show up and attend those sessions if you're able. It's great teaching. It'll shed a lot of light on the world in which we live and show you how, just really how truth of God affects everything in our lives. It's comprehensive. And then the fourth thing a Christian worldview is, is it's also reasonable. And that surprises some people because some people think that to be a Christian, you have to turn off your brain and just accept a bunch of stuff that doesn't really line up with reality. But again, that's not true. In fact, just the opposite. The more you ask and the more you seek truth, the more it will lead you to Christ. And you know, I've looked at the answers other worldviews give. Atheism, pantheism, nihilism, existentialism, postmodernism, all the isms. And I can tell you that for me, a Christian worldview is the only worldview that gives me answers that satisfies my questions and my doubts in a meaningful way. And you know, there's been men who are way more brilliant than me who've explored those same questions and come to the same conclusion that a Christian worldview is the one that best explains the world around us. In fact, there's an entire branch of theology called apologetics which actually specializes in showing how the Christian worldview is the most reasonable and rational response to the questions of this world. You actually see that. I was at a debate like years ago, university, a debate between atheism, uh, atheist and a Christian. And you know, when I was at that debate, several people became Christians and nobody became an atheist. It was amazing. Like, because our faith is defensible. It's rational, it's reasonable because a Christian worldview is consistent. It doesn't self-contradict like many other worldview. It's rational. It, it makes sense and it answers our questions. And I would add that the Christian worldview is the one that offers us the best outcomes. 
You know, a Christian worldview, when everybody lives that, that's a world where people want to live. That's a world where people flourish. It's a world where life is meaningful and a world where creation is well cared for. It's reasonable. And then finally, we also need to understand when we're forming our Christian worldview that a Christian worldview is motivational. That it's not just something you believe, it's something that you live. When you think biblically, you live accordingly. George Barna writes, if Jesus Christ came to this planet as a model of how we ought to live, then our goal should be to act like Jesus. Sadly, few people consistently demonstrate the love, obedience, and priorities of Jesus. And he says the primary reason that people do not act like Jesus is because they don't think like Jesus. Behavior stems from what we think, our attitudes, beliefs, values, and opinions. And although most people own a Bible and know some of its content, our research found that most Americans have little idea how to integrate core biblical principles to form a unified, meaningful response to the challenges and opportunities of life. We're often more concerned with survival amidst the chaos than expressing truth and significance. He's saying we gotta know what we believe and we gotta live what we believe. And that leads us back to the big question that we're looking at this morning. Because, you know, I know in a few minutes we're going to be walking out those doors, we're going to be getting some food, and eventually going back home and back to our everyday lives to begin a new week. But the question I want to leave you with this morning is, how are you going to live when you get there? Will you live what you believe? And again, tragically, many people just don't. Many people, even people in churches, just give Christian worldview a lip service, but in reality, they're just worldly. And again, survey after survey continues to show that in most places in North America, there is almost no difference between the behavior of those who go to church and those who don't. We read the same books, we go to the same movies, we watch the same TV shows. Christians cheat on their taxes, they run red lights and have the same divorce rates as people outside the church. When it comes to a Christian worldview, we often say one thing but live another. But you know, that leads so many Christians to a place where their witness is compromised and they live in this sort of state of perpetual doubt and fear in their lives and they just lack any sense of victory in Christ because even though they're trying to live for Jesus, they're also just really stuck in the world. It's like a person straddling a fence with one foot that they're trying to keep on both sides. You know, so many Christians are trying to have it both ways, but that's no way to live. As believers, it is our job, it is our call, our duty to know what we believe and then live what we believe fully. And that's the challenge I want to leave you with. To live. To live in a way that people see a difference in your life. Live in a way that demonstrates that Jesus is alive. Live in a way that shows the world God's truth through you. Because I truly believe that if we are living for anything less than that, then we are selling ourselves short and we are missing out on the fullness that God has for our lives. A Christian worldview changes everything, even as it changes us. So let's make it our prayer and our passion to live 
what we believe. Let's pray. Father God, we, we are so thankful for your truth, for your word that, that guides us, that speaks to us, that, that, that it is something that is timeless, something that is certain in our lives, something that is sure, something that is profitable, and something that is, it is foundational in our lives as believers. That your word, your truth offers us answers and meanings when we ask life's big questions. And I pray, Lord, that we would engage with that truth in our lives, in our minds as believers. That it would not be something that just is in our head, but again, it's something that is lived out in our lives. And that in all that we are and in that all that we do, Lord, we would be shaped by your truth that we would live for your kingdom, we would live according to your values, so that we would think Christianly, intentionally about everything in our lives, that we would be rooted and established in faith, not being taken captive by any schemes of the world. And Lord, the world around us, it is deceived, and it does distort things, and it is lost. So I pray that, Lord, in living the truth, our lives might shine as a witness in the dark, and that, Lord, as Christians, we would not live in two worlds, that we'd not try to serve two masters, that we would not be double-minded people, but, Lord, again, we would live fully for you and fully with you all of our days, that we would live what we believe. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand up 